This program is brought to you by PersonalLifeMedia.com. Hello and welcome back to The Fearless Lover here on Personal Life Media. My name is Adam Gilad, and on this show, we explore the spiritual foundations of enduring and passionate love, because it has come to my realization over time that um, unless you really dig down beneath the surface to the foundations of how we conceive of ourselves and how we are aware of ourselves and how we make art out of our fears and art out of our constrictions, and art out of our habits, then we just get stuck in a never-ending cycle. I can give you a very powerful idea that uh, the listeners can work with for the rest of their lives, if they are sincere in their wish to be free of fear. Yeah, because, see, maybe I never realized that I was in a certain kind of relationship where my expectation had become familiarity, and then that familiarity became contempt when you ceased being what I wanted you to be. We are very, very fortunate this week to have somebody who's new to me and whose work is very deep and broad. He's been working for about, I believe, 30 years in the field of uh, fearlessness and self-awareness and personal spiritual growth. His name is Guy Finley. And uh, Guy, I'd like to welcome you. Thank you, Adam, very much. Thank you. Now, Guy is um, the author of a new book called The Essential Laws of Fearless Living. But before we even get into this amazing new book, which I've spent all morning here on beautiful Orcas Island reading, um, Guy, would you give us a little background of how you've come to this point? Oh, dear. Yeah. Well, <laughs> uh, long story short, Adam, I'm, uh, I'm, a, I'm a person who was born into a, a very successful show business family. My father uh, was really the progenitor of late-night television talk show uh, genre. He was a Time Magazine Man of the Decade. Wow, and, and I grew up with uh, the sons and, and daughters of the Arneses and the Martins and the Minnellis and the Sinatras. I, I was uh, sort of the you know in the brat pack uh, running kids, and uh, but I but from the time I was and I mean quite literally six years old, uh, I recognized something was terribly wrong with the world that I was in, and of course you don't understand these things as a child. It's impossible because you don't have the mental construct to uh, even begin contemplating why one would feel this disjointedness, this disenfranchised life. But gradually, as I grew up and uh, began to participate in the very plans that are uh, part of the conventional life that we are thrown into at birth, uh, it became clear to me, you know, that uh, we're never going to know what real contentment or peace is, what it means to really rule our own lives as long as fear uh, uh, fear sits in there <clears throat> in us, guiding us and directing us, making the choices for us that it does. And gradually over the years, 
uh, I began uh, studying as was available to me in in my tender years. Uh, became a successful uh, composer, uh, artist, first white guy, my partner and I ever to soft rock artist ever to sign with Motown Records. And then after a, a good run in the music business, I quit. I retired at the age of 28 or 29 and began traveling the world looking for someone who might be able to resolve some of the contradictions that I had yet to understand in my own life. Uh, came home after a year or so, found nothing over there, which turned out to be very valuable. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then uh, met by great fortune a, a genuine, I'll call him a Christian mystic here in the, in the States, Spent 14 years working with him. He died in 92. I wrote my first book in 91 at his uh, insistence. It became a, a best-selling book, The Secret of Letting Go. And I've been talking and writing uh, on these subjects now since, uh, what, 81, so almost 30 years. And that's, that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. <laughs> <laughs> I love it, and I love the fact that you bring um, mystic understanding, which is clear through all your writing, but in an amazingly... Um, accessible, practical way. The the name of your institute uh, up in Oregon is called the Life of Learning Foundation. Yes, and I love that because that's ultimately all there is we can do. Agreed, <laughs> Adam. That's right. Is to be open to learning every moment and not get caught up in dogma or ideas or habits or beliefs. So, um, one of the one of the reasons I'm really excited about talking to you today and uh, getting to know you better over time is uh, I like your practical approach to these things. Thank you. So. Yeah, so I want to open um, with a couple of questions. I was reading your book, The Essential Laws of Fearless Living, and we'll get to how to get that later in the show. Um, And one of the things that you point out is that we've habituated ourselves to living with fears all along, that we begin to believe that that's our authentic self because we're so used to that about ourselves. We don't even question it. And, um, And what I want to ask you is... Um, how do you begin, begin to unravel? What practical steps can one use to begin to unravel the fears that we think we are? And, and there's two kinds of fears, and, and I want to just throw this out in, for your answer. One is the fear of what is, you know, the fear of what we are afraid of in the world itself, and then there's also the fear of what isn't, you know, the fears that we project onto the world. So in about one minute, do you think you could summarize an answer to that? I can give you a very powerful idea that uh, the listeners can work with for the rest of their lives if they are sincere in their wish to be free of fear. And, and, and first, but this one's a little bit uh, a confounding to the mind that hears it for the first time. I'll move past it and then into what's more practical. Uh, Adam, nothing, nothing that is threatened by a fear can be protected by a fear. Nothing. But we don't see that because, on one hand, we have things that are threatened all the time by fear. Mm -hmm. And then we turn around and we unknowingly ask fear, what do we do to protect ourselves? So we're in a very unconscious, unhappy, uh, negative spiral with regards to our relationship with fear. But to the practical side... This is such a powerful idea, empowering when it comes to producing the real life that is without fear, is that no fear anywhere exists without negative imagination. I'm going to say it again. When it comes to fear, 
No psychological fear exists without negative imagination. Now, that's not the kind of instinctive fear where we don't know then better, I hope, than to jump off a bridge with a, a, an elastic cord attached to our foot. Mm-hmm. I'm saying that when we're afraid of something, the root of that fear is that our mind negatively pictures an event. We hear about something that may take place, and all fear is about what may, not what is. Uh-huh. Even, even when we lose our job, the moment of fear is not produced by the loss of the job, but by what the mind then makes out of the possibilities connected to that state. So the mind creates a negative image, uh-huh. and then the same mind that produces the negative image begins to fear and resist the picture that it's produced. Uh-huh. Then it begins to wonder what to do about the picture that it's produced, and this is where we begin to get anxious and make plans to protect ourselves. Now we start protecting ourselves and feeling good when the seed of that protection is the fear itself. So fear extends its hold on us every time it convinces us to take measures, and I'll go back to what I said, to protect ourselves by the very thing that threatened us in the first place. And the key here, Adam, is that all of this is taking place in a mind that is asleep to itself, that first imagines the fearful moment to come, then hates the picture it produced, and then tries to protect itself from the pain inherent in that picture. So that the fear is not real. I have a a, a poem that you'll like. Mm -hmm. It's from another book. The feel is real, but the why is a lie. Just like a kid lying in bed sees the scary picture. The feeling is real, but the why is a lie. It's exactly the same thing all the way through our lives. We feel, we, we feel the fear that's produced when the mind makes an image that it then resists, and then it calls the picture and the state that follows it real. The why is a lie, the feel is real. So at that key point in the beginning, how do you catch in that cycle of having a fear creating a picture of the fear, and then responding to your creative, responding to your, you're already in the story of the fear. So you're responding to your own picture of the fear, if I get what you're saying. So everything that's happening is really, you're now in the story, the fear's story. Yep, you're in fear story. So let's let's see if we can take a practical application of this. So um, this show is very much about intimate relationships, right? Yep. And so let's take a point where someone might have a moment of fear and then start projecting. So what's a common one? In, uh, in an intimate relationship. Mm, I saw you look at someone. <laughs> ah, beautiful. Okay. You're not supposed okay. to look at anybody but me. <laughs> so let's take, let's take that. So yeah. the fear is, I saw you look at someone, you, are, you desire other people, you don't want me, you're going to leave me, therefore what I need to do is hector you enough about that, so I'll shame you out of wanting to leave me. <laughs> so now you're in the story of the fear and you're creating the exact situation you don't want. That's right, because then you push away the person based on actually trying to protect yourself. Exactly. So at that moment where you see your partner looking at someone, and, you ha- and, you, and, and yeah, the process of awareness is, okay, you can run that. I just did it in a second. You know, I can see the whole story. Um, now, by the way, I've been a screenwriter for 14 years, so I'm really good at, you know, yes. seeing how a story develops from a, from a, a simple idea. Um, yes. So what's an alternative right there? At that moment when you look at your partner and she's, or he's looking at a beautiful woman passing by, how do you shift out of that fear-creating story? We have to, first of all, I call it, use the springboard. 
the minute that you become stressed, worried, anxious, or in this instance, frightened, and they're all negative states, so let's just group it like that. The minute you feel a negativity of any kind, mm-hmm. a fear and anxiety, you must recognize that that moment is the telltale sign that you are standing at a crossroad. Mm-hmm. The crossroad at the moment is whether or not I take the road all the time traveled, the familiar one, which is letting my mind run this trail of associations that produce the heartache, or mm-hmm. <clears throat> do I come awake? Now, what does it mean to come awake? I've already caught the first step. I feel this fear, and I can feel it trying to bring me into the story. Mm-hmm. At that point, I want to ask myself if this is the best I can do, because the truth is, look, do you need somebody to tell you how to get out of that room, uh, Adam, if it's on fire? Mm-hmm. You don't. The recognition of the reality of the situation is all that you need to act appropriately. When we wake up, and as we do, the very instant that we catch a negativity, a fear passing through us, is the indication that we were asleep, and now we need to reclaim our attention, and instead of allowing our mind to direct us where it wants to direct us, which is into the dark apprehension of what may take place, we bring ourselves back into the present moment, where, through our awareness of ourselves, we realize, and this can bring us to the question, is this thought or feeling serving me in this moment, or is it trying to steal something from me? Mm. And if we're awake, we can see that any thought that says, oh my God, what's going to happen? I better do this, I better do that, I better control you, is not serving me. It's stealing from me the possibility of being aware of a much broader story. And here's a beautiful thing. The only thing that frightens us about another human being is what we want from them, Mm -hmm. period. Which means in the moment that I become afraid due to what I think you may be doing, it's an indication that I'm wrongly attached to you and that my dependency can never be anything but an extra weight, an anchor on our relationship, so I should actually thank the moment for showing me where it is that I'm wrongly attached to you. Not that I don't love you, Uh but I am not going to allow my life to be chained to what anyone else does, regardless of how much I love them, because who and what I am does not depend upon you for its value. I'm with you. I have I have one question and one and one um, cl- clarifying question. Yes. So let's go. Let's take a big, big step back to um, to that moment of the person right. looking at the other person. Right. So there are two steps here, and I love that you say awareness is not enough. It's one of your great quotes from your book. Awareness is really the first step, if I'm reading you correctly. Yes, it is. Okay, so the first moment is to say, oh, I'm having this negative state over the fact that my partner just looked at somebody. The second step is taking an action. So what are some actions that would help de-anchor or de-habitualize ourselves from going down that story of fear? One of my favorite ideas, whenever we meet a moment in which we have a negative reaction, our habitualized mind is conditioned to looking at the situation and blaming it for the suffering we're having. Mm -hmm. The new paradigm, if we want to be genuine human beings who understand 
the real nature of love, is to look at that situation and realize that the moment only serves to reveal what I have brought into it with me. Mm. So at that point, I learned to say inwardly, thank you, I didn't know that about myself. I, now we take the power away from a divided mind to blame the situation for the suffering we're in, and we turn it into a learning situation where instead of resisting a condition, we're using those very circumstances to become increasingly aware of the activity of our own unconscious nature, of what goes on in the dark of us. And the light that we bring to that moment, meaning how willing we are to be aware of and bear what we're seeing about this fear and what it's telling us we're going to lose and what's going to happen to us, the freer we become. Because no one will allow, consciously, a negative state to become their consolation, their direction. So that awakening takes us to a new point in our life where we, uh, we let go and start to become watchful instead of willful. I'm going to say it one more time. In that moment of the fear, we become watchful instead of willful because we now know from our observation that the will that comes to us to act in those moments is not ours, it is not serving us, but it is the will of fear and our conditioned negative reaction, and we will not participate any further in what has punished us up to date. Beautiful. And when we're talking about freedom, what you're saying is I'm picturing the couple, and I'm picturing them on the street, and I'm picturing, I'm going back to that very practical application. Right. What happens when you do take this road away? I really see there's two storylines. Uh, one is the fear storyline. If you start taking that road, your partner will feel it, and your partner will feel less free yep. and will feel constrained by you. If you take this other one, um, which is thank you, I didn't know about about I didn't know that about myself. You know, your partner will chances are will recognize that you noticed and not feel constrained, and may even love you more for leaving your partner free. I to, guarantee it. Yeah, exactly. I guarantee it. And you know what else, Adam? Yes. And if your partner wants to keep looking, you've still done the right thing because now you're breaking free of the false dependency you have on that relationship. So that no matter what happens, what we discover that is true about ourselves serves us every step of the way in increasing our capacity to grow as a human being, which is the same as deepen our relationship with real life which is the same as realize love as our guide and as the goodness at the center of ourselves that has given us the lesson that liberated us. That's a, that's a, that's a heartful and a mindful. Okay. <laughs> uh, on that, I want to take a short break so we can uh, listen to our sponsors for one second, the people who make this show possible. And in a few minutes, we're going to come back uh, with Guy Finley, and I'm sure everyone's going to stay. I can't wait to see what else you have to say. Um, Guy Finley is the founder and the director, I imagine, of the Life of Learning Foundation uh, in Oregon. You can always find him at GuyFinley.org, by the way, and we're going to have more information about his new book, The Essential Laws of Fearless Living. We'll be back in a minute. Listen to Beauty Now. 
the intersection of cosmetic surgery, longevity, and biomedical innovation for confident decisions in preventative aging on personallifemedia.com. Welcome back. This is Adam Gillad, and you're listening to The Fearless Lover, where we explore the roots, the spiritual roots, of enduring and passionate and free love. We're with Guy Findlay, who is the founder and director of the Life of Learning Foundation. Guy, welcome back. Thank you, Adam. Um, okay, we left off talking about living a life of utter freedom, um, and somehow freedom and love meet. Um, one of the impeti, impetuses, uh, for me doing this show was a very powerful book called The Mastery of Love. I'm not sure if you're familiar with it. I'm not, but go ahead. Don Miguel Ruiz, who is best known for uh, the, the Four Agreements, and he's drawing from his tradition, and in that tradition, they make a division between fear and love, that, uh, that when you're caught by the parasite of fear, they call it, then you can't actually live a life of love. And it's a duality. And uh, when I listen to you, I hear that the duality, certainly in the stories we make, is either uh, l- love or uh, rather fear or freedom. So what's the relationship for you personally between freedom and love? Because there's two kinds of freedom. Freedom is the freedom to be in the moment. And in your work, I feel a lot of Taoist uh, resonance and I feel a lot of Buddhist resonance where you're just at peace with what is without assigning any quality to it. But certainly in the Christian tradition and in other traditions, you know, being um, without fear is not so much just being with what is, but being in a state of love or bliss or God consciousness. So how do you see the relationship between freedom and love? Um, I don't see any, um, any distinction, really, between them. Or, for that matter, I, I don't really see any distinction between fear and love, other than to say that, and this is, I think, an important idea. It's a little bit deep. We'll see if we can make it clear. We can handle it, okay. Uh, look, no one wants to be an unpleasant, angry, frightened human being. No one wants to be that. One of the things that we would all do well to understand is that wherever we are, whoever we see, and I mean whoever it is, no matter what they're doing, that person is actually doing, as hard as it is to believe, the best they know how to do. That's just the fact. No one says, no one wakes up in the morning and says, you know, today I'm going to try to destroy the world. People wake up and say, today I'm going to do the best I can to make myself happy. Mm -hmm. Now, if it means destroying the world, well, then uh, history will prove that I'm right. (laughs) But, But we do the best we know how to do. And the reason I'm saying that because is because when we talk about fear, what we're really saying is that at any given moment, the root of a fear is always in what I have yet to understand about myself. Mm. That's the root of a fear. Whether, you're, whether you've never in your life had a spiritual thought, or you're, you, you, you've managed by grace to awaken to some extent, The only thing there is to fear in life is not what life brings to us, but what we have yet to understand about our relationship with that moment. 
So when we begin to get that a little bit, see the truth of it, then we realize that that means that it is the moments that I fear that are actually the doorway to the further integration of myself. Because it is the fear, not that punishes me, but that actually serves to reveal to me where it is that I have called the partial reality the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Reveal self to self. Yes. So, so we get this idea that little by little, and that's what I mean by thanks, I didn't know that about myself, is that when we recognize that this darkness serves the light that reveals it, then we realize that fear serves the love that heals it. I knew I was attracted to your work. I, I, one thing that I find is very destructive historically, and uh, as well as personally for individuals, is this idea of perfectionism and um, spiritual ideals, where somehow if you're not fully enlightened or fully loving, if you're not living in Christ consciousness or Buddhist consciousness, um, then you're bad, you know, then, then in some way you're, you're deeply flawed and flawed, yeah. wrong. And one of your great lines, which, I, which really struck me, was you wrote, the strength of any weakness within us is the degree to which it is feared. Yep. And I love that because it takes away the sense of inadequacy and yep. it, gives, it gives a road. Yes, it is. It's absolutely empowering because it means that where we have... And it's no one's fault. I mean, we're, we, we're, we're born into a world whose entire context has created a consciousness in which fear is seen as being a productive aspect of progress and profitability. But when we realize that that whole context that is based on a possession-oriented consciousness is not wrong in itself, but exists in isolation apart from the idea of a, of a participation context. So that we got this idea that we're a creator without realizing we're first a creation. And as that, that wrong context grows, the conflict has to grow because then resources are seen as limited. When the real source, the real resource, is our capacity for change, to become better, more loving human beings. And that's where we get this nice idea that little by little we can start to see, ah, you know what? I always thought that this moment was an adversary to me. Mm -hmm. because, because somehow or other, you or they or this or them or that book, it, it, you know, it just it, it flies in the face of what I know is good. Mm-hmm. But if I can wake up and start to see that... If I'm angry and suffering, I don't know what's good, period. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, it's that simple. If I'm suffering over the fact that you're not loving, I don't know what love is. Mm-hmm. Love embraces. It doesn't resist. So what I'm getting at here is that our idea right now is that what we have to do because of our view of the world is that we have to gain powers in order to be in control and achieve the real truth is that we have to awaken to what is making us powerless within ourselves. The discovery of what is making us powerless is the end of our relationship with it and the awakening to what has already empowered us, which is the capacity to love, to integrate, 
to become one with. And that's where the whole paradigm shifts and where a person begins to be able to really genuinely relax from this mistaken, fearful view of a reality that is against us and see the moments of life as invitations for transcending one's own false ideas. I feel like everything you say, Guy, could be an hour. You know, I could take every sentence you say and we can do an hour just on that. Well, we can do more time. We can have other times together. <laughs> okay. I'm listening to what you're saying, and I'm furiously making notes, and it's fantastic. Um, thank you for that statement. It's a beautiful one. And um, what I'd like to do is to apply it a little bit, take it back down to um, very practical purposes. Um, in intimate relationships, obviously we're often taking this road of, of fear. And you wrote that Nothing, no fact, no thing, no, nothing that arises in the world is frightening unless it runs into conflict with what we want, right? Yeah, unless we resist it. That's correct. Great spiritual principle. Let's take it down to marriage, a relationship, because this is... Oh, uh, everything breaks down in the marriage deal. <laughs> exactly. This, this is the cauldron. We're all <laughs> it's, like the, it's, like the, it's like physicists, you know... Uh, this is, physics works here, but as soon as you move into the quantum world, forget about it. Exactly. So let's let's see if we can make it work in this world. Okay. Because um, what happens in when relationships, and I'm sure we've both seen often, is that we get into a relationship. Often, when we're young, we idealize the relationship, and then of course we discover the person isn't the ideal that we thought, um, and we say things like, "Well, you've changed," as if that was something odd or wrong. Right. Or uh, as we get on a little in life, we'll talk about a different kind of relationship. You know, as you get into your 30s and 40s, hopefully you stop doing that and, and idealizing the person you're about to marry, um, for example. And um, we start seeing that the, the facts of the partner are not what we want them to be. And it's inevitable that some of the facts will not be what we want them to be. So uh, in my experience, it seems to me that it's a very, very very unusual partner that can bring what I think is the, is the approach that really works, which is I love and respect your unfolding in the world, and I am not going to attempt to control it. I will do my best to inspire you forward uh, by my example and, if you ask, by my advice. But, um, but I'm not going to control your unfolding, and part of my love of you is to respect your unfolding to a higher awareness and a all higher right. consciousness. That's, that's all good. That seems to be, at this point in my life, the only way, from my experience, to really make a relationship that's truly based in love and freedom. It is, absolutely. But here, here's our problem, so to speak. Okay. You can give a person that tool, but if they don't understand how to use it, mm-hmm. then it becomes an actual stumbling block to that person. Because now I've idealized how I should be towards you. Mm. But the fact is, I'm not that way. And it's really bugging me that you're interested in Tai Chi. Mm-hmm. You know, or whatever it is. You know, because it doesn't go with my Christian faith. Or who knows what, you know, what runs through these relationships. And what we're looking at here is a, is a very powerful, important idea that we each must come to a certain understanding about if we want to become, I'm using that word right now very carefully, Mm -hmm. an understanding partner. Here's the key idea. When you know that what you're looking for is what you already are and not what you may become, 
then you stand on the threshold of a fearless life that allows change in others. But our big problem is, and again, this goes right to that original thing we discussed, is that I'm looking to you, uh-huh. whoever, whoever my lover is, for who I am. That's why I don't want you to change. Uh-huh. Because if you change, and I have found myself in what I now have fixed you to be, uh-huh. then any change threatens my sense of self. So it really isn't that I don't want you to change, it's that I'm not about to change, and I fear the feeling I have that I'm going to have to. That's what I meant about it's no good if we don't understand it. We must, if we're going to have successful relationships with whomever it may be, Mm -hmm. understand that this moment in time with you is here for you to reveal to me my possibilities not prove to me who I am by me having fixed you in some state of perfection that you can't live up to and that should you drop the mask for a moment is going to make me miserable. Mm -hmm. So it really does begin. Every one of us, Adam, we're just born into into this brain that derives an identity out of becoming identified with someone or something outside of us The attachment forms, the dependency follows, and fear, the dark blossom of fear, appears. We must see where this is true, and then begin the the, the work, the process of awakening sufficiently to realize, you know what, it is bothering me. You know, you used to, in the morning, you used to give me a kiss every morning. And some, you you stopped yesterday. Uh, You used to... uh, clean up after me, or uh, when I came home, you asked me, how was my day? Mm-hmm. You, don't ask, you don't ask anymore. Mm-hmm. Now, these may be signs of a, of a problem in a relationship that need to be discussed, but there is a difference between discussing a relationship with someone and drilling them as to why they have changed. Yes. The so discuss- a good response... Yeah, I'm, I'm, I know this one. So I'm just I'm, I'm starting to interrupt. Let's say a good response might be, you know, say she stopped uh, kissing me when I come home. A good response might be, thank you, I learned something about myself. And then saying to your partner, I realize because you know you didn't kiss me when I came home yesterday how much I value, you know, your affection when I come home. Or or how about yeah. this? Or I'm going to come kiss you. <laughs> Another good one. I, I so realized how much that moment of affection meant to me. I'm going to kiss you. That's a great one. Yeah, because see, maybe I never realized that I was in a certain kind of relationship where my expectation mm-hmm. had become familiarity, and then that familiarity became contempt when you ceased being what I wanted you to be. Mm. So all of that works together, but only if we are awake and aware in the moment of what's taking place, because when fear... Mm-hmm. steps in, it has two possibilities. It says, you know what, attack or flee. Mm-hmm. It, it never says, you know what, guy, maybe you're a part of the problem here. Or it, <laughs> never, or it never says this, maybe there's nothing to be afraid of. That's something fear never says. Mm. So, the, so all of these beautiful possibilities exist, Adam, in every moment where we're awake to ourselves, because instead of letting thought go before us, 
this is from Scripture, I go before thee to make the crooked places straight. Instead of letting thought go before us that is generated by fear, we allow that fearful moment to awaken us, and we let the light of being open in that, morning, in that moment to all that we are show us the infinite possibilities that exist, and as we're awake to that, we can begin the process of discovery. Lord, yes. Can I say a giant yes for that? Yep. That's a beautiful statement. Guy, um, we could go on, and we will go on. Um, I'd like to meet again uh, on this show in a month or two, if that would be good with you. Happy to do it. I think we've covered a lot. My mind is a bit spinning, and uh, you've given some beautiful gifts today. And um, I really want to thank you for that, personally and, and professionally. You're more uh, than welcome, Adam. I, I love the truth, too. And I'm sure our listeners are, uh, are very happy. Um, I want to say a couple of things about what Guy is doing and how you can find him. Um, his main site, I think, is GuyFinley.com. I'm sorry, .org. Um, he has a new book called The Essential Laws of Fearless Living, which drills down into some of the things we were talking about today. And um, if you want to explore those particular ideas, there's another site you have, Guy, which is essentiallaws.org. And what is that exactly? I don't know. <laughs> okay. <laughs> no, here's what I know about it. Um, the, the, the new book, Essential Laws of Fearless Living, mm-hmm. uh, is just come out. Mm-hmm. And at that website, essentiallaws.org, mm-hmm. my foundation is offering a host of bonus gifts, really a, a, a great, wonderful set of tools, MP3s, PDFs, wonderful stuff that you get free. I think even a free DVD, I'm pretty sure, that you get with the ordering of the book through Amazon. Mm. So that's what EssentialLaws.org is. You go to that website, and it directs you through a simple set of steps that put you through to Amazon. You order the book through Amazon, and then you get six or seven or eight wonderful gifts from the foundation as our thank you for ordering the book and helping to disseminate these ideas into the world. In fact, I'm looking at the site now, and your staff has been very busy, Guy, because I see 80 free gifts. Um, over 80 authors have contributed uh, in support of you. Oh, maybe, uh, it's, eight, maybe it's 80. I don't, it's a bunch of it's free dumb. gifts. Yeah. <laughs> there, are, there are MP3s, there are articles um, from amazing people, um, such as Wayne Dyer and other very, very well-known um, authors and, and very empowering speakers and teachers, which itself is a mark of, uh, of the kind of work you've been doing to, 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 to mobilize 80 people to offer something free. So if uh, someone's interested in this book, you would go to EssentialLaws.org, and you can order the book, I believe, right through there and uh, through Amazon, and you will get uh, all these free gifts. Yeah. Which is which is just a, a kind of a instantiation of, of what your work is anyway, that every moment is a gift. <laughs> and this is, this is a big one. <laughs> this is a gift 84. <laughs> every moment is a gift if you look at it and, and unwrap it and see what's actually there to learn. Yeah. So, Guy, thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure uh, meeting you, uh, and I look forward to speaking to you very, very soon. Be well, Adam, and we will speak again. Thank you. This is Adam Gilad. You've been listening to an amazing uh, edition of The Fearless Lover here on Personal Life Media, and we'll see you next week. Find more great shows like this on personallifemedia.com.